I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to Nordic Nation on Faster Skier. Last fall, Faster Skier spoke with former Williams ski team member Jordan Fields after his impressive effort on the presidential traverse in the White Mountains of northern New Hampshire. This classic point-to-point route leads travelers over eight summits in roughly 18 miles, including Mount Washington, which clocks in at 6,288 feet as the highest elevation peak in the Northeast. Over the years, many have raced the clock to slowly whittle down the fastest time in the range. However, Fields' time of 3 hours and 42 minutes smashed the previous record by an astounding 22 minutes. By all accounts, Fields has been on a tear in the Northeast this summer. He set a new FKT each month, beginning in June on the Kinsman Ridge Traverse near Franconia, New Hampshire, followed by Mount Katahdin in northern Maine in July. From there, Fields turned his focus to two other classic White Mountain routes, the 29-mile Pemigewasset Pemi Loop and the 45-mile Appalachian Mountain Club Hut Traverse. Like the Prezi Traverse, the Pemi Loop has been a test piece for hardy New England mountain runners, boasting 9,100 feet of climbing with ample scrambling up and down the rocky granite peaks above treeline. Fields completed the route on August 1st in a blazing 5 hours and 27 minutes. With records dating back to the 1930s, connecting the eight huts beginning at Carter and finishing at Lonesome Lake has long been a rite of passage for AMC hut crew and trail stewards in the lore of the White Mountains. And get this, the route encompasses the presidential traverse, though you get to skip a couple of the peaks, and roughly one-third of the Pemi Loop, racking up over 16,000 feet of climbing and ending on a steep climb out of Franconia Notch. Fields dropped the time to 10 hours, 24 minutes. With the FKT on the Prezi Traverse and the Pemi Loop, this also finished out the Triple Crown of the Whites, and Fields became the first person to hold all three records simultaneously. In this conversation, Fields shares a deeper look into his FKT attempts and discusses his perspective on the likely COVID-induced increase in use that the White Mountains and many other mountain regions have seen this summer. He also talks about the role the community has played in helping him achieve these goals and his plans for the seasons ahead. So first I'm hoping to kind of just check in about, um, so you are, you're a grad student at Dartmouth in geology, is that right? That's exactly right, yeah. Um, I don't really study rocks, but I, I study rivers and how they respond to climate change and things like that. Yeah, seeing kind of the contrast, being in Colorado and being here and both places being a drought, that seems like a good place to be right now in terms of... It definitely feels relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and has... Uh, has COVID and um, ha- has any of that complicated things for you in terms of grad school? A little bit, yeah. It's, it's made it, I mean, I couldn't really access my, um, I had to bring all my field equipment home with me in March because I anticipated this, but um, I wasn't able to access any lab space from March to June, which is really challenging. Um, so that, that slowed things down a bit and I uh, wasn't able to have any undergraduates working for me this summer in the field like I usually do so I've just been doing it all on my own which is uh, which has been working out all right in truth but it's, it's a little hard and it's a little lonely um, to be at work from home all the time you know just the same stuff that everyone's kind of facing in this time yeah and is home near Dartmouth or yeah I grew up in uh, Woodstock Vermont originally and so that's just half hour from Dartmouth and now I live about 20 minutes north of Hanover in Lyme New Hampshire um with a group of friends here and it's yeah it's a wonderful place to be 
Um, and it was a good summer in terms of running for you, it seems like. Yeah, it was a great summer. I guess that's one of the benefits of COVID is that it left me with uh, maybe a little bit too much flexibility <laughs> to say, uh, oh, man, I've been working pretty hard today. I guess I'll just go running for the rest of the afternoon. And, and being in line, the whites are just around the corner. Musalak's only, you know, 35 minutes away. So it's easy to just hop in the car and, and do an evening mission. And um, I was looking through some of your reports on the uh, the FKT website and Strava a little bit, and uh, it looks like your your Pemi loop was sort of like an impromptu. You weren't necessarily expecting to go out and or, or trying necessarily to go out and set the FKT originally. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, I was. That was supposed to be that. Well, the, the, I should say the Pemi loop was a, originally my goal for the year. I was like, I just want to set the record on the Pemi loop. Put a really solid time down on that. And so my roommate and fellow skier at Williams, Luke Costley, and I, and my girlfriend, Lucy Skinner, who skied at Bowdoin, we all decided to go up to uh, the Pemigewasset Wilderness and do the Pemi Loop. Um, Lucy started earlier, and then Luke and I started a little later. And uh, we had decided to go out and do it at just kind of a fun, fast pace, you know, just like moving well, harder than you go in a long, easy workout. It was definitely going to be kind of hard. but not with an intent to set the record. I just wanted to get a sense for what it was like to run on that particular terrain at a, at a decent pace, um, which I generally like to do before doing um, a fastest known time attempt. So we, we set out to do that, and then we realized about eight miles in that we were, when we got to the top of Boncliffe, which is the first significant summit on that loop when you're running it counterclockwise. And we realized that we were right on pace, And so I said, oh, well, I'll just try the next segment and see how it feels at race pace, and then I'll wait up for you. And so I went ahead and did a little threshold segment for like the next 15 minutes up to Bond, and then realized we were five minutes ahead of the record at that point. And so then I was like, oh, man, what do I do? Do I stay with Luke, or do I try to set the record? Um, And so I decided I was going to go for it, but that I needed to wait for Luke and tell him first, because it couldn't just disappear because we had started this big 30-mile thing together, and then I wasn't going to see him for the next <laughs> rest of the day. <laughs> so I stopped and waited for him for four or five minutes, and then told him that I was going to go on, and then started going. Um, by that time, I'd fallen behind the record now, because I'd been waiting. Um, but then I felt confident that I could keep going and, and get it, given how I felt like I'd been going relatively easy and was still on pace. And then the next hour and a half went really well, and then I realized that I did not have enough food or water to be doing a race effort on a 90-plus degree day um, on these ridges with no shade. So I, I actually had, like, the worst bonk of my life. Um, I was, like, I, I said this to someone else recently, but I, I honestly was as motivated by breaking the fastest time on that route as I was by just getting back to the parking lot. <laughs> Because I was I was genuinely really worried that I was gonna like pass out. Like yeah. I hadn't had water for like two and a half hours, and I've been going at you know above a threshold pace really hard, and had had basically no food the whole day because I had brought like a PB and J, but I just wasn't able to get it down. Once I started going that hard, I hadn't brought like a lot of gels and sugars that I would normally on a race effort like this. Um, so that one it was it was amazing that I ended up still getting the time, and I. I feel really grateful that it worked out, but it wasn't one of those efforts that you walk away from and feel like, wow, that was a really solid effort. It was just like a, wow, that was a absolute hack job. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to do something else, uh, in the fall. 
and that's where we ended up on the on the Hutchiverse. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how um, there's there's really no way to get water either once you're up on those ridges, unless you, really just with the huts is kind of the only way you can really find without yeah. too far off. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, there was there was only Galehead Hut, and then there's one spring after that on Garfield, which I maybe should have filled up at, but I didn't during the Pemi Loop, and so uh, I paid for it hard. And I think I just needed to carry more. I only had two 500 milliliter flasks with me that day, and I really should have been carrying uh, another bladder in the back of my vest, which I do usually during race efforts. And uh, so once you kind of had that and checked that box is that what made you think about the Hutchiverse or what um what led you in that direction well what what the penny was still kind of on my mind the rest the next six weeks or so because what ended up happening is because luke had run the start with me it ended up qualifying as a supported record not an unsupported record as previous attempts had been done and it doesn't really matter, but it just seemed it mattered in my head. I really wanted it to be the unsupported record because it, like, I had suffered so much out there for it to be marked as supported. Like, if if there had been people there to give me food and water, like a truly supported effort would have been, then it would have been a totally different experience, and it would have gone way faster. So I felt a little bit um, bummed that it w- had been categorized as supported, and so. I was going to go back and run it again, knowing that I could go faster if I prepared better, even with it being fully unsupported. Um, And so that was the plan up until about a week ago. And the reason I ended up shifting focus to the hut traverse at the last minute is because I just wasn't feeling uh, inspired to go after the PEMI again. I think think it's partly because it was my own record, but partly because of that experience I'd had where I'd gone really deep and then felt really good about getting it only to have it kind of be classified with this asterisk as supported. And so I was like, you know what, I just need to like do something totally different and, you know, clear my head and not do something that I feel pressure to do and just do something that's going to be really fun. Um, and the hut traverse felt like that because it was, I'd never run that far before. I, the route had really interested me because it just goes over all these amazing parts of the White Mountains, the Presidential Ridge, through the northern part of the Pemigewasset Wilderness, you know, over Franconia Ridge, um, and then down through Franconia Notch and back up to Lonesome Lake. And so I was like, you know what, I think I'm just going to try this. And I and it wasn't even, a, I actually wrote myself a note that it was like, this is not about the fastest known time. Like, I'm going to go out there and run a pace that I want want to run and maybe that'll be hard or maybe it'll be easy. I'm going to see what kind of energy comes out, but I really wanted to just do something to just like cap off the running season. Uh, and this felt like the right thing. So that's kind of where I, I, and once I thought that through, I was like, this feels so much better than doing another attempt on the PEMI. So there's some cool history there, right? In terms of, um, d- have you ever worked as hut crew or, uh, do you have any associations there? I have not worked as hut crew. Um, I have some friends in college. So Hannah Benson was a skier at Williams from Jackson, New Hampshire, who worked as hut crew every summer when we were in college together. She was the same year at Williams as me at 2017. And so she had often talked about working at the huts. And so I kind of knew a little bit of the lore, but I'm definitely not one of, uh, one of the elite folks that's spent so much time up there. Like Jeff Colt was the previous owner of this record. He had worked up there, for at least three summers, maybe four. And so he, he had done the route many times and, you know, had spent just months out there on these trails. And so, um, 
I felt a little bad taking a record from someone uh, like that. Um, so hopefully he'll go back for it again. Yeah, it seems like, I think I, I remember following along with his attempt. Was that last summer that he went? Two summers ago, 20, 2018, yeah. I sort of appreciate, I grew up kind of the south end of the Adirondacks and Great. have lived in Colorado for about eight years now. And one thing I appreciate about Jeff is there's sort of this like East Coast, West Coast, whose mountains are better thing. And <laughs> right. I, you know, and Jeff just has so much pride in the White Mountains and continues to, even though he's now living in Colorado. And I think he talked a lot about kind of like getting it back, getting that record back. I think the person that had it before was maybe guy, a guy from the Adirondacks. And oh yeah, Liam Davis. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it seems like there's some just some really I, like really fun rivalries that seem to happen with some of these routes uh and just yeah the amc has such a, a cool history with people doing doing the traverse and uh the whole amc head system is it's a pretty neat thing totally i mean i think that's one of the coolest things about this route is that most of this fastest known time stuff is you know developed since 2010 basically and that's as far back as many of the records go. But this record, the first speed attempt was made in the 1930s, which yeah. I just think is amazing. And like Jeff, I was really lucky to talk to him on the phone before giving this a run because I just wanted to let him know that I was going to try for it and wanted to get his advice. And he was extremely supportive, which honestly like felt like was such a huge um, factor in me being able to run fast out there was knowing that he was behind me. Um, but, you know, he summed it up when he said, you know, I said, Jeff, I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna, I might go for this record. He's like, No, it's, it's all good, man. This is all, this is what it's about. It's all about a shared history of experience in the mountains, and that phrase just stuck with me. I'm like, This, that is what this is all about. You know, it's like, kind of over time, people are able to push the limit and, um, you know, study a route, and you're not gonna get a record like the Hutchiverse unless you've done your homework out there. Like I had done every, I'd never done it all at once, but I'd done every single segment at least once, um, just over time, and so. I thought that I just thought that shared history of experience mountains phrase was really cool because that that kind of sums up the hot traverse. And you talked a little bit, about, I think, in your your uh, trip report of just kind of the role of community and kind of having people rally around you at the huts and um, kind of see you go by here and there. Can you talk about? Yeah, that, that was. I would love to because that that really is my, the best part about that particular day and this route in general. Um, was that I, I had so much support out there. Um, it was amazing. Like I did, it was self-supported in that I filtered all my own water along the way. I dropped some food for myself at Crawford Notch, but I didn't like take food or water from anyone else. So, and I wasn't paced. And so it is a self-supported effort, but that doesn't really do it justice um, in spirit because there were so many folks out there. Um, I just have a lot of friends who like to run in the mountains and they all decided to come out and run on that route that day. So I'd see various friends throughout and um, my partner, Lucy Skinner, hiked up to Crawford Notch with me and spent the night there along with our friend Tess Hamilton, who also skied for Bowdoin. Oh, sorry, Carter Notch, sorry. Start, started at Carter Notch um, and camped there. And then they carried out all of the sleeping bags and stuff, which was really nice. So I could just get started early. Will they stay at the Hucks that they're closed? We, we just camped uh, near, in, the, in the area. Um, because unfortunately, yeah, the huts have been shut down all year except for, you know, water. And I think some of the huts were doing food this summer, but no one was staying there uh, because of COVID. And it, Carter, Notch had, Carter Notch had even shut down totally for the season. There was no water there. It was all boarded up. Um, 
So it was kind of, that was the bummer about doing it this year is I know like when Jeff did it and when Katie Scheid set her record last year, like they stayed at the huts and had meals there. And so um, it was nice that in lieu of being able to celebrate the community of the hut and the hut crews themselves, uh, I was able to kind of bring my own community to the place and have my brother out there and uh, Luke Costley and my roommate and Skier from Williams and Lucy and all these other folks that I've mentioned along the route. So that was really, really special. And in that way, it felt like a, uh, a team effort, you know. Did COVID affect your original plan? Like, was, you just said Penny Loop was kind of one of your goals for the season. Were you, did you have other race goals that got canceled? Or how, how different does the summer look compared to what you were kind of hoping for maybe in the winter or spring? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It, it's substantially different than I envisioned it looking FKTs kind of became the, the outlet for a lot, everyone this summer, uh, um, and me included. I did a lot more of those efforts than I planned on. I really planned on just making the Pemi the one FKT that I did this summer, but I also did uh, Kinsman Ridge with my partner Lucy as a mixed-gender team, and I did Katahdin, and then I did the Pemi, and now I did this Hut Traverse, whereas I was supposed to be doing a lot of bike racing in the spring, gravel biking, which I love to do as a cross-training activity, especially at the tail end of the ski season in the spring, it's a really nice way for me to transition back into running as opposed to dropping the skis and immediately starting to run uh, 40 or 50 miles a week, which I tend to find just I get injured doing that. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, no bike racing. Um, so I did end up running a little bit more in the spring, but it, I got lucky and it worked out. And I was hoping to do the the rut, that which is that um, Mike Foote's race in – Bozeman, Montana, or Big Sky, Montana, sure. um, which I really have wanted to do for a number of years. And so finally signed up this year, got up on January 1st or whenever it opened and uh, signed up within like the first five minutes. So I'd have a spot and then was pretty bummed and that was canceled. Um, but hopefully we'll do that next year as well as a bunch of other local New England races that I like doing, like the Catamount Ultra in June, uh, the Mount Mansfield Double Up, which usually takes place at the end of July. Um, and maybe like Kismet Cliff Run. Those are some really fun runs in New England that I usually like to do as well. Another kind of COVID-related question, I guess, is uh, what what are your thoughts about kind of increased use in the White Mountains? I know that uh, this mm. year and this, this just this summer, kind of across the country, but um, being here and even just being here in the fall, I'm, it's kind of amazing to see the difference in use compared to other summers when we've been here and um yeah what are your your thoughts on that and and has that sort of affected you at all in terms of like your running plans or um or even just sort of like what are your your thoughts while you're out there your your feelings while you're out there this is a really good question uh thanks for asking it um because it's something that i think about a lot especially this summer when you know in past years my assumption has been you know post labor day it starts getting cooler in the whites and people generally clear out. But that was just not the case at all this year. You know, I've been up there quite a few times since Labor Day in preparation for this run. And just every trailhead was absolutely packed. I couldn't believe it. And then when I was out there during the hut traverse and during the Pemi, it was just like always dodging people, which I, I feel bad about because oftentimes these trails are pretty technical and I'm kind of like doing a controlled fall downhill. And so 
I, I feel kind of rude just, you know, barging my way through all these crowds. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to be competitive. So it's kind of what you have to end up doing while being, uh, you know, respectful to everyone out there. So I think my, you know, you, a lot of us have this gut reaction of like, oh man, I wish there weren't so many people here. But at the same time, I'm so glad that people are using these places uh, because they are amazing. And hopefully uh, that kind of ideal of conservation that if you set these spaces aside for people to use, then they'll have an appreciation for them and therefore more of a willingness to donate to groups that are doing work to conserve public lands or themselves will get involved in that work. That's always the hope of, of increased access. And, you know, whether or not that's true, I'm not sure. But with the whites in mind specifically, I do think that with more people coming to the whites, um, it just encourages you to find new places and not go to the same well-trodden paths. There's a lot of space in the whites, despite everyone's conception of New England as this um, kind of rinky-dink mountain arena. Like, there are so many places that no one goes to in the whites. Like, uh, I ran the Bald Faces this summer, which are over on, like, the main New Hampshire border, um, kind of up by Mahusik Notch. And it was just this amazing corner of the whites that I'd never been to. We didn't see anyone else out there. Um, and, there, and like the Mahusik Ridge itself, no one, very few people go up there besides AT through hikers and, um, you know, the big lows in Maine. And so there's just, there's a lot of space out there. And so um, I think I've tried to stay on the positive side of this one to be like, you know, it's good that more people are getting out there because A, they're getting an appreciation for these places and B, it's encouraging me to find new places. How about next steps in terms of, uh, it sounds like you're kind of ready to change change gears, uh, maybe do less running and, and get ready for ski season. Um, what are kind of your, the rest of your goals for maybe this year? Or does, do you sort of still have like a duality with running and skiing and you're saying uh, gravel biking or, or biking in general right um or what does that look like right now i'm definitely focused on taking a little uh downtime trying to recover from this big effort i definitely have been feeling it the last few days just pretty tired um so i've been going out for some fun bike rides and easy runs and uh roller ski this week uh, with my friend bill harmeyer from the sms t2 team but um i think in terms of you know concrete goals i'm trying to keep it uh, not have anything on the horizon right now. Oftentimes, like this some, whole summer, I was kind of consumed by, not consumed, but you know, I had these goals in the back of my mind every time that I was running. And it's kind of nice to have a little period where you're like, all right, I'm not going to think about um, the next goal right now. I'm just going to do these things because I love to be outside and I um, love to be on trails or on roads or to imagine myself skiing when that time comes. And so I think for uh, the short term, my goal is to just do spend as much time as possible outside doing things that I love, but, um, without holding a specific, uh, route or race in mind. But that said, I'm excited to start doing a little bit more roller skiing with the, with the focus I brought to mountain running this year. I definitely was not able to roller ski as much as I usually do in the summer. In fact, I haven't roller skied very much. And so, um, going to start roller skiing a bit more, um, which I do like to do. Call me crazy, <laughs> but, um, and, uh, you know, this winter I'd love to do some ski marathons. I did 
a couple of those last year and had a really good time at Craftsbury in particular racing with Chris Freeman and, um, and the, during the 50 K classic and then the 30 K skate, we had an amazing race where it was, um, Accio, Mayfield, Carucci, myself, Chris Freeman and Adam Martin. We just skied together for the whole 30 K. It was one of those days where it's just ripping fast and no one could drop each other. And so we just skied it's this pack and they all out sprinted me, but I had a great time and it was, you know, fun to feel, uh, back in the game after a few years away from fast ski racing since college. So, um, I'm hoping for some more experiences like that this winter. And then I think, you know, during those restorative winter months, I'll, you know, kind of start stewing on some goals for the spring, which I, which I think will include some bike racing, hopefully if we're in a, a world where that's possible. And, and then maybe, um, some more races for running, I think next year, I, I miss, I miss being head to head with other folks. So I think that, I'll choose, you know, one or two FKTs to focus on. I'm not sure what those will be yet, but I'll probably choose one or two. But but not have it be my only thing and hopefully do some racing. Do you think you'll try to drop the Pemi Loop time again? Yeah, let's I think I would feel more motivated if someone goes back and gets it and then I can go back and have a time to chase. Um but that said, I do think there's a lot of time left on that route. And so uh I can definitely imagine it being a goal of mine next year to go back and in lower that time, even if someone else doesn't set it. So that's definitely on my mind as, as a potential one. Any other thoughts, anything I didn't ask that? Yeah, I think we covered some really good pieces. I'm glad you asked about the community part. Cause that, that is my main feeling after, after this hot traverse in particular, it's just like feeling really grateful for the, the friends that I have to run with every day and that are, would be willing to come out and support me on something like this in the mountains and give up their weekend to do it. So I just, I just feel really grateful. And I think that you know, this is all, this is the reason that we're all involved in things like Nordic skiing or mountain running is because the community of people that do it are so invested in the people that they share those experiences with. So, um, that's the feeling that I'm left with after this run. You can find Jordan on Instagram at JF Fields or follow along with his mountain adventures on Strava. Thanks for listening and happy fall.